We've been in a sermon series called In His Steps. And we have taken the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we have put them in as best as possible, chronological order, and we've been walking through the, uh, the Gospels together as a church family. So we've been studying the life of Christ chronologically because we want to know the context uh, that Jesus said and did, all the things that he said and did. And it, it helps us understand what was going on at the time in the place and helps us pick up on some of the unique figures of speech that Jesus used uh, when he's speaking to the people. So you can comment questions. If you're watching friendshipchurch.online.church, you can comment questions in the sidebar. You can, if you're a newcomer or if you're new to Friendship Church, you can comment. And we would love to email you a free gift as our way of saying thank you for worshiping with us. If you're watching at friendshipchurch.online.church, there should be uh, a little link that says connection card or some other links. If not, just comment your email and put that you're a newcomer or a guest or whatever, and we will uh, email you a free gift as our way of saying thank you for worshiping with us. But you can also comment questions on YouTube or wherever you're watching this. Hopefully, if you have any questions during the message, comment them, and we'll try to come up with a video later on this week uh, that will provide some answers to some of those questions so we can kind of engage in a bit of a dialogue. Uh, but if you have your Bibles or if you're uh, reading uh, through the Bible app, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10. And that's the passage of Scripture today. We're in part 13 of volume 3 of In His Steps. And it's entitled The Good Samaritan. It's a passage, a story that people inside and outside of church are very familiar with. The Good Samaritan. Have you ever had an opportunity to help someone in need? Maybe you saw someone struggling with a flat tire and you knew that you had the tools and the ability to help them. Maybe you were behind someone in line at the grocery store and you saw them put back some things that were necessary items, food or milk or diapers or whatever, because they didn't have the money. Maybe a neighbor needed some water or bread or toilet paper. Maybe they just needed some money for a financial situation that they were facing. Hopefully you made the right decision that day to help the person instead of just ignoring them. Today we're looking at a passage of scripture where Jesus gives us an example of those who responded correctly and incorrectly when they saw someone in need. Luke chapter 10 verse 25. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, let's back up for just a moment. We covered, we've been, we've been studying Luke chapter 9, and Jesus is slowly making his way from Jerusalem, or to Jerusalem for the last time. He dealt with three would-be disciples that all came up with reasonable yet unacceptable responses for not immediately following Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, he sent out the 72 disciples, which is what we covered last Sunday. He sent out 72 disciples ahead of him into nearby towns to gauge their readiness for the gospel. And these 72 reported back that they were able to cast out demons. They healed the sick. They preached the gospel. They, they preached that the kingdom of God had come near. And so they gave a report of all the things that they had seen and had been able to accomplish for Christ. And so he was teaching his disciples when a lawyer stood up and challenged Jesus. A lawyer in Jesus' day was a person who was an expert in the law. 
what, what we also called the Torah. This person had the first five books of the Bible memorized, and they could quote them easily. This lawyer most likely helped people understand what the law said and how they were to interpret it. Several times Luke points, to, uh, he, he paints lawyers in a bad light, and this story is no exception. Now, they weren't all bad people, but over time, some of them, and certainly this one in particular in the, st in the story we're covering today, they have memorized the letter of the law while completely ignoring the spirit of the law. And so when he asked Jesus a question, it was definitely a loaded question. He did so to put Jesus to the test. That was his whole motivation to take Satan's place in testing Jesus and to make him look foolish in the eyes of all the people who were following him. Sometimes we have to dig a little deep in order to discover the motivation of the person. But Luke actually provides it in the telling of this story. Let's look at verses 20, uh, verse 26 of Luke 10. And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So we see here that Jesus doesn't take the bait. He knew the Torah better than this lawyer could even hope, ever hope for. So he put the man on his heels and he asked him the questions. You're a literate and well-trained man. What does God's word say about inheriting eternal life? How do you interpret God's words on the matter? Verse 27, the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the lawyer responds, he replies with two verses from the Bible. The first is called the Shema, which is Hebrew for the word hear. And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. It's considered the holiest scripture in all of Judaism. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And then the lawyer connects rightly the Shema, this prayer, this first verse, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, this first part. He connects it with Leviticus 19, 18. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself I am the Lord. So the lawyer is right in his answer, but still his motivation and his heart are far from God. So Jesus isn't done with him yet. Verse 28, and Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus said, do this and you will have eternal life. Well, do what? Love God completely, wholeheartedly, in every way possible, in everything you think and do. Well, that sounds easy, right? And on top of that, love your neighbor with the same amount of love, care, and concern you have for yourself at all times. Jesus knows this is completely impossible for anyone. There will be times when we put ourselves first, when we put ourselves above God's wants, above God's commands and desires. There will be times when we put ourselves above our neighbor's wants and desires. Still, that's our goal, though, to be as Christ-like as we can, loving God with everything we are and everything we have and loving our neighbor as ourself. Here, the expert in the law thinks he's got Jesus. The first rule of debate, never agree with your opponent. 
Never tell your opponent that they're right. And Jesus has just done that. He's just told the lawyer, you're right. You said correctly. You answered correctly. So all of Jesus' followers are listening to this debate. The lawyer goes in for the knockout punch. Little does he know that Jesus sees and knows his motivation. So instead of this lawyer setting up Jesus to look stupid, Jesus is really setting up this man to teach him and everybody else that's listening a very valuable lesson. Verse 29. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Here again, we see the lawyer's motivation. The word justify here that Luke uses is the word that means to prove or demonstrate a person's righteousness. He was trying to show that he indeed was righteous and he was obeying God's law to the fullest. This lawyer employed a common defense, getting Jesus to define his terms in an effort to trap him. This man is not seeking the truth. He's seeking to win an argument against Jesus and to prove to Jesus' followers that he was a fake and that he was a fraud. Who's my neighbor? Who's my friend? Who's my fellow man and my equal? It was really a polite way of asking, who's not my neighbor? Who doesn't deserve my love? Whose lack of food and shelter can I ignore? Whom can I hate? Who's my neighbor? A better question would have been, how can I be a loving neighbor? However, to answer the question he asked and to ensure that the message stuck with all of the listeners, Jesus told one of the most iconic and famous stories in all of the Gospels. And one thing we learn about when we read the Bible is that when a story is directed to a particular individual, that person is likely to come to a very unwelcome realization, as did this lawyer. Luke chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now let's pause right there so that you can understand the context of Jesus' story and what it invoked immediately in the listeners. The man in this story would have been assumed to be Jewish. And because he was leaving Jerusalem, it would also have been assumed that he was going home after offering sacrifices there. Also, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was an 18-mile stretch of winding road that descended about 3,200 feet. And that road had a name called the Ascent of Blood or the Bloody Way because of the violent robberies that would take place on that road. It was not a trip that anyone would take alone if they could help it. Let's look at the rest of verse 30. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now the listeners can understand the situation and picture it in their minds. It was an all too common occurrence. This Jewish man was surrounded by a mob of robbers and thieves he was beaten, robbed, humiliated, and stripped, and left half dead. Verse 31. <clears throat> now by chance, a priest was going down that road, 
And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So this is a unique way that Jesus says, it just so happened that a holy man was walking down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho when he saw the man. He looked at the man and what did he do? He crossed the road so that he wouldn't be near him. It's easy for us to, to maybe look at this and come up with an excuse and say, wait a minute. Doesn't the priest become unclean if he touches a dead person? He's going to serve the Lord at the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, so he can't risk being defiled. But the priest is not going up to Jerusalem to serve the Lord at the temple. Instead, he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho after already serving God. His obligations are complete. He is able to help the man. The problem is not his ability, it's that he lacked the willingness. To truly follow the Torah, the priest should have checked the man to see if he was alive, and when he found him alive, he should have helped him. If the man was dead, he should have covered the body and immediately gone for help. Jewish law requires that a dead body be treated with the utmost respect. Bearing the dead, if the man were dead, is one of the most important commandments in Judaism. For it is one of the few acts that cannot be repaid by the person who benefits from it. Yet the priest ignored Torah. He ignored the opportunity to demonstrate righteousness and right action by obeying Torah and doing good. He decided not to do it. Verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, the Levites were those who assisted the priest. So the senior pastor ignored the man first, and then the associate pastor ignored him as well. I think somebody needs to have a staff meeting with these two and get them to check their priorities. He saw the man beaten, naked, half dead, and struggling to survive, and he could have helped him. But instead, he said to himself, I'm just going to walk over here on the other side where I don't have to look at you or even think about you, where I can act like you don't exist. Generally speaking, Jews fall into one of three categories. The priests who descended from Aaron's lineage, the Levites who descended from Levi, Aaron's ancestor, that helped the priests, and then Israelites who descended from the other 11 tribes of Israel. So when you mention, when a story mentions the first two, a priest, a, re, a Levite, then it automatically invoked the assumption at the mention of the third group, Israelites. But Jesus shocked his audience by not making an Israelite, a priest, or a Levite the hero. Instead, he made a person that every Israelite would have hated as the hero Verse 33 of Luke 10, it says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. There was a deep hatred between Jews and Samaritans. The Jews saw themselves as the legitimate heirs of Abraham's promise, while the Samaritans were a mixed race of Jews and Gentiles. When the Jews who lived in the northern tribes intermarried with Gentiles, in the area after Israel was exiled to Babylon and Assyria. 
Remarking on this passage of scripture, Martin Luther King Jr. said, It's possible these men were afraid. And so the first question that the priest and the Levite asked was, If I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question, asking himself, If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Whatever the motives of the priest and Levite were, I believe that Martin Luther King Jr. was correct. They, like the lawyer, thought only about themselves, not about the man in the ditch. Verses 34 and 35. The Samaritan went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn, to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now a denarius was one day's wages, so two denarii were two days' wages. And real quickly, break out your, get out your phone and open up the calculator app. Figure out how much you make in a normal day of working and then double it. That's how generous this Samaritan was to a man he didn't know and might have even refused his help if the man knew that a half-breed Samaritan was the one that was helping him. Despite that, the Samaritan did what was right and he earned the praise of Jesus because of it. Not only did he pay in advance for the man's stay and rest until he was healed, he promised to pay whatever it took to make sure the man had time to heal from his wounds. Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. It was completely open-ended. His generosity was completely open-ended. What audacious generosity this man showed to a complete stranger and a person that on any other day might have hated him just because of his race. Verse 36, Jesus asks the question, which of these three do you think? I love that. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? I can't even imagine the silence no one can dispute who the hero of the story was. No one could dispute who showed, who demonstrated the love of God for their neighbor, the, the, love of God, the love for God and the love for their neighbor better than the Samaritan did. Nobody could dispute that. It would have been so easy for the lawyer to speak up and say, you're just making this story up to prove a point. But he didn't. He didn't dispute the fact. And that tells me that this story that Jesus told was probably a story they already knew to be true. But they didn't want to think about it. Verse 37. The man said, the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. To the lawyer the person least likely to act in accordance with God's law and heart was the Samaritan. The Samaritan would not have obeyed God's commands. They, they thought the Samaritans had no respect for God's laws, God's word. They were worshiping on their own mountain. They weren't allowed to come to Jerusalem to, to do uh, sacrifices. They were treated as worse than Gentiles. 
And so to the lawyer, in the lawyer's mind, the person least likely to do the right thing would have been the Samaritan. In fact, he couldn't even bear to say the Samaritan's name. He couldn't even bear to say that the Samaritan was in the right. Instead, he just said, the one who showed him mercy. This expert's attitude betrayed his lack of the very thing that he had earlier said the law commanded, love. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote this. He said, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. Let me say that one more time so you get it. If we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. Every race of people has suffered. Every person has or will eventually deal with sorrow, loss, disappointment, frustration. Instead of acting like we're the only ones that have it bad, we should recognize the pain and suffering. They are common to all and allow those times to bind us together instead of tear us apart. The Samaritan made himself vulnerable as he reached out in love to sacrificially meet the needs of a hurting Israelite. This was the exact kind of love that reflected God's character and demonstrated a heart for God's laws, not just the letter of the law, but the spirit behind it as well. The story of the Good Samaritan has taught us three principles about loving our neighbor. First, a lack of love is easy to justify even though it's never right. Second, our neighbor is anyone of any race, creed, or social background that's in need. And third, love means acting to, make, to meet the person's need. Love isn't a feeling. It's an action. Love always makes the first move. Wherever you live, there are needy people close by you. There is absolutely no good reason for refusing to help someone in need. At the end of my message last week, I challenged you to visit five neighbors, five people nearby, and check on them to see if they had any needs. You might have looked at your neighborhood. Maybe your neighborhood's a little sketchy. Maybe your neighbors are a little pretentious. Or maybe they're arrogant or rude or just different from you. And you might have asked yourself, Pastor Jason, who's my neighbor? Define that for me. Simply put, our neighbor is anyone who we can help. Anyone who needs our help. So the question isn't, who is my neighbor? The question is, how can I be a loving neighbor to those who need me? Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help in this time of turbulence, in this time of uncertainty, in this time where fear is ruling people's hearts and minds. We know that your scripture says that perfect love casts out fear. And when we love people, when we help them, when we minister to them, they have no reason to be afraid that we can show God's love shining through us by ministering to our fellow man. And so, Lord, help us 
eradicate all biases, all prejudices, all, all issues we have with different groups of people that we are different from. Help us look at someone as a person of worth and value because they are a person that we can love and be a good neighbor to, that we can love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we can truly love our neighbor as ourself. And so Lord, help us as we see people in need, as we see, as we hear people express uncertainty and fear and doubt at this time, Lord, help the church rise up and encourage them and love them and give grace and mercy to them, help them, helping them with tangible things as well as spiritual and emotional support. Let the church rise up. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel being preached around this world as a result of where, how we find ourselves. The gospel is no longer contained. The messages are no longer contained in a building with walls, but they are all over this world. The gospel has been preached. And we thank you, God, for giving us the opportunity to do that. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you would help us grow in our relationship with you. Help us love you more completely and love our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, last week, your homework was to find five people and minister to them and, and ask them at least if they had any needs. This week, your homework is to log on to your Right Now Media account. And I want you to watch the video called The Parable of the Good Samaritan. I believe it's going to help supplement this message and help you be encouraged and help drive this point home. So if you don't have a subscription to Right Now Media, email us at office at friendshipchurch.cc. We will send you the link for an absolutely free subscription. You never have to pay for it. Our church pays for it because we want you to grow in the Word of God. And we encourage you, if you're home alone or home and not doing anything, instead of binge watching Netflix shows or Hulu shows or Amazon Prime shows that probably aren't going to help you grow in your relationship with the Lord, throw in a couple right now media videos every once in a while. Start reading a book of the Bible. Read Philippians. Uh, it's a great book about um, as Paul is writing uh, this, this letter to the church in Philippi from a jail and dealing with uh, just crazy situations in his life and, and uncertainty, how he found joy even in the most turbulent of circumstances. So there are lots of resources that you can uh, check out and use to help you grow spiritually. We love you. We're praying for you. Please let us know if there's any way we can help you, any needs you have, and we will do our best to get you resources, to get you what you need for the church to stand up and be the church and to shine the light in this dark time. God bless you. We love you. We're praying for you and have a wonderful week. Goodbye, Friendship Church.